We are proud members of the Spy Podcast Network. Find out more at www.spypodcasts.com. Welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. We are back with another declassified episode. But for the first time in Spy Hard's history, I do not have Cam by my side. Now, I know what are you going to do without listening to his Canadian tones? It's, it's going to be tough. But um, what I did, you know, I, I consulted with my peers and I remembered something I was told a long time ago. Always have an escape plan and never let them see you bleed. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go Bond. And I went back into our catalogue of previous co-hosts on the show. I called up Tom Butler from the James Bond A to Z podcast and, of course, editor at Yahoo. Hello, Tom. How are you? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Yes, I'm always a, a sleeper agent ready to be reawoken for Spy Hards. So uh, reporting for duty. Yes, you've been activated. I think that's the term we're going to use. Activated. Yeah, sounds sounds very official. But um, part of the reason why Cam isn't here is because he can't access the film we're talking about this week. And that film is Operation Mincemeat, which is actually out in cinemas here in the UK on Friday the 15th of April. And it's actually releasing in North America on Netflix, I believe, the first week of May. Tom, is that right? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I know it's a Netflix release in... North America. Mm. Yeah, so both Tom and I have, I think, Tom, you went to the Cineworld preview screening last week? Yes, I would usually go to the press screenings, but um, I'm not really traveling into London as much as I used to. So yeah, I took the offer of seeing it at Cineworld Unlimited and uh, yeah, went to see it there yeah, a week or so ago, I think. Yeah, and I, I had the, uh, I did get the call from WB that I was able to make it. So I actually went down to WB and watched it as with a preview of a bunch of the other press. That was nice. Felt fancy. I'll take that. But um, with the declassified episodes, if it's your first time listening to a declassified review, it's basically our instant thoughts on the film and a quick review, basically. So um, we're not going to go into the back catalogue. We're not going to go into the history of the film. We're not going to talk about the knock list. It's really just our thoughts on the film and whether you should go out of your way to check it out. So, um, you know, Tom, I'll, I'll throw to you first. What do you think of Operation Mincemeat? Well, Operation Mincemeat was a, a film that I was very uh, interested in seeing because it ticked a lot of boxes for me. Um, so it's a World War Two film. It's, a, it's an area of interest for me. It's a, it's a film about espionage and also about uh, like the birth of the intelligence services, I guess, during World War Two. Um, it has um, a, a a small part um, in the film for Ian Fleming, who is the creator of the James Bond films, and so that in it, it, that combination of things, you know, really piqued my interest. Um, and I have to say, you know, it did what I was hoping it would do. It was a solidly entertaining 
World War II film, you know, goes down well with a cup of tea and a biscuit. It's not too taxing. It's got great actors uh, from top to bottom. Um, and yeah, it's just a solidly entertaining Easter weekend film. Uh, that's what I thought any, anyway. I, it's not perfect. I, I, there are some things that I could have done without, but I, I think we'll come to those in a bit. Um, but for me, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people will find it entertaining. It's interesting that it's gone to Netflix internationally, but we're getting it in the cinema here. And I think that speaks a lot about the target audience for this film, which is, you know, an older, perhaps, audience. Um, stuff of this heritage tends to do well in UK cinemas. Um, think, you know, King's Speech. Um, I'm trying to think of another good example. But it's that sort of period drama type thing that um, audiences in the UK just, they really lap it up. And uh, I can see why we're getting it in the cinemas over Easter weekend because it's just a, a perfect sort of Easter weekend movie. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised that they weren't getting uh, a North American cinematic release, theatrical release. But when I sat there and thought about it for five minutes, yeah, it makes perfect sense because, of course, we talk about the war. Uh, we love talking about the war. We still make documentaries about World War Two, World War One, um, and we're fascinated by that part in our own history. And there's some very interesting stories to tell, including this one, which is perhaps one of the most, well, one of the strangest uh, of the stories from World War Two. Um, so, what I think for those who aren't, you know, don't really know what Operation Mincemeat is. I think uh, what I'll do is I'll read out the uh, letterbox.com synopsis, maybe to give you a taste of what the film talks about. Operation Mincemeat. Deception, the greatest weapon in war. In 1943, two British intelligence officers concoct Operation Mincemeat, wherein their plan to drop a corpse with false papers off the coast of Spain would fool Nazi spies into believing the Allied forces were planning to attack by the way of Greece, rather than Sicily. Now that uh, that sounds a very fantastical way of doing, uh, you know, spy work. But this is a this is a real story that they're, they're telling here, um, which I think blew me away a little bit because I'm not t up on my history particularly. It sounds like you kind of you know like to go through your history books, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do like a bit of history, um, and you know, this particular time period. Um, um, and style of espionage in the war is 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 of great interest to me. I mean, because we obviously been studying a lot of Ian Fleming for the podcast that I do. Um, there was a lot of interest in that, just in the stories that he had from the war. And I think this this story, the Operation Mincemeat story, I think the, it's based on a book by Ben McIntyre. But it's one of those stories that is almost too good to be true, um, mm. and just i mean obviously the, the the main thrust thrust of the plan is that they float a dead body onto um a beach in spain to mislead the germans um and that just in itself is quite a quite a caper but what this film does is obviously expand on that um to tell you the story of how well, even just like how espionage, why espionage was important in World War Two. Uh, that's a very big theme, isn't it? Like this idea of the hidden war that's going on the same time as the visible war. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of narration in the film, just kind of trying to contextualize 
espionage at that time. And then you've got the Ian Fleming character kind of doing the same thing. Yes. I think it's it's him that's doing the narration most of the way, isn't it? Because he's it's sort of he's typing up notes. Um I, I, I will say that I think that what the Ian Fleming connection is it's kind of a almost a shameless way of hooking people like me into the story because actually in the film Fleming doesn't have a huge amount of input into the operation itself would you agree i i would agree i would be interested to sort of do my research a bit better but that's not what we do on these declassified episodes it's more just about the film but i would like to know how involved Fleming actually was in operation mincemeat because i think we'll get to talking about it in a little bit but what is in this film, I'm not entirely convinced was the truth. Yeah, I mean, Fleming was the um, uh, assistant to the to the the, the spy um, head of naval intelligence, um, played in the film by uh, Jason Isaacs. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and the way that he uh, enters the story really in this is that he's written a, a document um, which helps steer the operation um this this sort of subterfuge that they're they're trying to mislead the germans isn't it um it's an idea within this uh, dossier that he's written of potential ways of um misleading the enemy and so that's in fleming's way into the story but then really he's just really an underling of one of the other main characters within the story and so he's often only just there at the back of a room right um, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the the film, especially if you look at the trailer, it does want to sort of lean on the Ian Fleming of it all. But when you actually go to watch it, it's not really what it's about. Um, but you know, just for my sort of top thoughts on Operation Mincemeat, it, it delivered for me exactly what I expected it to do. Uh, sounds like the same for you, Tom. Yeah. Where it was just a bit of a fun romp, really. Like I didn't, you didn't really need to think about it too much. It was just a because as I said, it's, it's quite a farcical story. The fact that this happened, uh, and this is a retelling of you know of history, it's, it's just there's there's fun to play with. There's comedy in the, this idea and this concept that we actually did, and so I think it just exists within that space. But there, I think where I come into trouble with this film is when it tries to maybe take it a bit seriously with stuff like the love interest and the brother slash communist spy angle i think that they're the bits that i bumped on more yes i have to say that the uh the addition of the romantic subplot didn't work for me that was one of the elements that i just thought was unnecessary i thought the story was well told and interesting enough in itself without adding um a romantic subplot that actually when you look at the beginning of the film and you look at the end of the film, it actually has no bearing on the story, really. Um, no. Because you could take it out and it wouldn't have had any impact. Now, it might be historically accurate, and that is probably why it's included, I'm guessing. Um, but for me, it just felt like that. It's a long film. Let's not beat around the bush. What is it over two hours long? I think, it, yeah, two five maybe 210 yeah just scrapes by yeah yeah i mean i say that's that's not too long really that's a realistic length for a film isn't it but i think i think it could have lost 15 20 minutes and still told a really good story and for me the stuff that would go is that romantic subplot because 
yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but it involves Colin Firth and Kelly McDonald's characters. Um, the stuff around about the brother who might be, may or may not be connected to the Communist Party, I thought it was quite interesting, but also only half realised as well. Also, he disappears. I don't. I don't recall. I mean, I've only seen it the once, but I don't recall it being resolved in the film. No, there is a mention of it towards the end, isn't there? I think. Um, but yeah, again, it just doesn't. It sort of adds a little bit of intri- intrigue and mystery to the story because it creates yeah, it's this... like a mislead. It, it's yeah. meant to make you worry about things. Exactly, yeah. it adds to the drama, doesn't it? it adds to the tension. You've mm. got to, it raises the stakes, as they say in the in the film writing world. Um, because yeah, I don't know how how much you want to talk about how it's connected, but basically, one of the one of the top guys in the operation, his brother may or may not have links to the enemy. Um, and but it's kind of yeah, it's just only half fleshed out. I thought. Yeah, I mean, usually on these declassified episodes, we don't tackle spoilers until the end. But I mean, this is has a basis on historical events, so I'm not too bothered about spoiling too much. If you want to talk about something, feel free. But I think before maybe we talk about any of the things we have to detract to this from the film, I you know I think we both enjoyed it top line i think we both got a lot of you know fun out of it it was an easy sit i didn't think i was looking at my watch at any point during the viewing although i was worried that warner brothers would have come in and dragged me out if i pulled my phone out Uh, (laughs) there's your press pass taken away how dare you sir um colin firth uh, penelope walton and matthew mcfadden uh are my favorite things in this film right they are all fantastic and any scenes with them are great. It's basically when everyone else gets involved, I tend to get dragged down. Although Jason Isaacs is also fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those those top three, I think, really bring a lot of weight and gravitas to the to the proceedings. And it's you know, there, there are moments of of tension as they're trying to uh, complete this plot to deliver this misinformation. And I think they bring their sort of star status to proceedings, and I think it really helps. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm going to agree. I think Matthew McFadden, I think, gets the best part in this film. Obviously, he's well known at the moment for Succession, but um, he in this he plays a really, really interesting, rounded character, and he gets a lot of interesting stuff to do. Um, in that you're often not sure what his uh elite where his allegiances lie, um, or you know what his interests are or why he's. Uh, pushing one uh, uh, for one thing or another um and i i, I find that's he, he's yeah he really excels in that um i'm going to steal a line from brendan my friend who, who after seeing the film he said that penelope wilton has really not mastered doing the penelope wilton thing <laughs> and <laughs> she, she really has she's really really great in this um she plays like uh, I don't know what her official title is, but she works for one of the heads of uh, the intelligence services and she does a really good sort of, you know, matronly role within that. She's and like she's the great. staff officer or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And yeah. she's obviously very maternal towards Colin Firth's character. Um, where I'm going to deviate slightly in your opinion is I don't think Colin Firth is that great in this. I I thought he was fine, but... I just kept thinking about, you know, how great he was in King's Speech, how great he was in A Simple Man. Um, was it called A Simple Man? No, A Single Man, the Tom Ford film. 
Um, sure. And I just wanted a bit more of that. I felt like a little bit he was phoning in it a little bit on this. It was quite a safe role for him to play. And he didn't really get a huge amount to do. I never really bought the um, romance between him and Kelly MacDonald. Again, part of the film I didn't really like. But I will like, yeah, totally agree. Um, I also really liked to see um, uh, the guy, uh, Paul Ritter, who obviously sadly died, playing the um, uh, the coroner who helps him find the dead body. I thought he was great in his very small part in the film. I, I get what you're saying about Colin Firth. I and mean, I think it, one of the problems I had with him is the love interest. I think we'll get to that in a little bit. But also the film starts more or less with, uh, you know, sort of his home life with his then wife, I guess, still wife by the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, and sort of the the home is breaking down and she's being sent away to America to protect the family with their kids. But also they're in the process of breaking up and there's a clear tension between them. But you're just kind of wondering what, why you're going through this way you're here to see a spy story um but yeah this is how you build things up but speaking of you know tension i think this film and we you know we watch spy films every week you watch bond films which spy films every week for your podcast um they like to build tension they love a bit of tension and they love a bit of intrigue and i think this film is very good at actually having some tension especially towards the end of the film i think it really builds up it, you know, can they get those plans into Nazi hands and fool the Nazis? And I think it does a really good job of building attention where you know this is a historical film. This is a retelling of history. It's not trying to deviate. So there technically wouldn't be any tension. So I think it's successful in that sense. Yes, definitely. Um, I think it plays out like a heist movie um, in that um, you know there's a caper and they the the caper is like you say getting this intelligence into the hands of the germans and making them believe it and so from that moment of the idea being set up in at the start you then go through the very traditional way of a heist being set up you know they recruit the people they set up the 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 tools necessarily necessary to make this happen there's deals to be made there's bargaining to be done there's, you know, um, forgeries, there's this, that and the other. And then in the final act, you get to see it all coming together. And that's really when I think the film, like you say, hits another gear. Um, and it really, really comes to life. You know, like any good heist movie, things start to go wrong. And it's about how they react. And the drama ramps up. And I think that's really, really good. And there's a couple of extra characters that start coming into it at that point as well, who really elevate the story to another level so when when they're operating in spain for example you've got a couple of other local um like uh, agents who are working for the british government who sort of come into play and i think they added a nice little bit of excitement and drama um just at the right moment i think because obviously if it just been about the setup and then waiting for it to happen then you know it would have been them just sat waiting by a telephone to find out whether it had worked or not but by taking, following the story and the heist all the way to the the end point, you sort of get wrapped up in the whole drama. I hadn't considered it as a heist film, but you're entirely correct. I, you know, just when you said that, I just viewed the film differently. This is exactly a heist film because you, it's very oceans. They've assembled the team, and you get to see they little all get their funny intros and backstories, and then they all work together in the end, and and and, and you know. 
steal the jewels or steal the money from the vault or deliver the plans to the Nazis. And yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually very interesting. I've never seen it that way. But yeah, this it, this is definitely a, a heist in a sense, is a caper. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting point. Thanks for that, Tom. But um, I speaking of those people that sort of appear in sort of the Spain part as the plan is being enacted, one thing I liked was just a reality check of being a spy. There's, there's one chap who I, I'll probably struggle to find the name of the actor, so I apologize, but he plays one of the sort of generals that's operating in Spain, but he's also a, a spy for the British intelligence, but he's pretending to be a double agent for the Nazis. And he, this is a little thing for me, but it, 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 it did cheer, like it did give me sort of a, a smile that he has sexual relations with both sexes. Yes. And I just like, yes, of course, he's a spy. That's what they would do. And I just love that the film didn't, you know, heavy handed do that. It just sort of just showed you it. It's very casual. Heavy handed. That's uh, is that a, is that a pun? It it wasn't, but it is now. <laughs> now it's in, now it's in a double entendre. Yes. Oh boy. Oh dear. Oh. Um, so yeah, I think the actor is called uh, Nicholas Rowe, who I don't know if you recognise, but he was young Sherlock Holmes in the young Sherlock Holmes movie. Um, I did and, not recognise that. Well, there you yeah, go. yeah. So he's um, yeah he plays this you know, like you said the double agent, but yeah the um, <laughs> the let's let's say the handover. This is awful. I love it. Intelligence <laughs> at that point, but it's interesting because you're right. It does. It adds that level of realism to the film. And actually, that's one thing I think the film lacks a little bit is that it's because it's so it's classically staged. Let's say so it's not you, you know it's not a handheld film in any sense. It's classically staged. It's paced in a way that is very like, you know, a classic uh, thriller movie of the 1940s or 50s would have been. Uh, it doesn't, you know, there isn't a punch up in a stairwell to, to elevate things. It is a lot of conversations and um, trade uh, spycraft and, and that sort of stuff, which, you know, it's not going to be to everyone's taste. But for someone like, I guess, even like yourself or, or for me, I enjoy that stuff, you know. Um, you don't always have to have a fight in a stairwell or a, um, um, you know, a, a, a chase sequence down a motorway or a, a huge crash to, to to bring drama to it. Um, it. Doesn't need that adrenaline shot every five minutes. No, basically. but there is a funny chase. Well, not a chase, but like a, a drive up to Scotland in the back of a van with a drunk driver, which um, is as about as thrilling as it gets. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the height of the tension or the the adrenaline rush that the film get, tries to give you. Um, I one thing I found quite funny was uh, well because of the story is completely ludicrous that this this ever happened and, and was a successful operation. Spoilers, it was successful. Um, I found it funny like at times because there's so there's like an inherent level of comedy in this story. I I felt like I was watching a Coen Brothers film. Just, uh, just like laughing at this, just the, the absurd situation everyone finds themselves in. And there's the moments where like they're trying to find a dead body to use. Yes. And, and they're just going around picking at different bodies. And there's like there's like kids there, and you just think this is this is really dark. And yet there's a comedy tinge to it. I just I quite like that, not that part, but the the comedy sort of of it all. 
And, you know, I, I could just picture, like, I don't know, Brad Pitt in the background chewing gum whilst, uh, <laughs> whilst, they're, whilst they're picking the dead bodies. Or, like, when they plan to have, like, the local doctor do the autopsy, and then there's, it turns out to be this top doctor from the, i don't know a spanish university who happens to be in town does the does the autopsy and everyone's An putting drownings as well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it keeps adding levels of just like insanity and i i, I found myself laughing at that i i quite enjoyed that uh so it, it didn't need to do that it's just sort of twisting the knife to make it a bit more interesting the coen brothers actually comparison is, is is actually really apt isn't it i think um i hadn't hadn't considered that but it does get zany in moments but in a in a dark in a dark way um uh, some of the i think the film the film's really obviously has a lot to say about telling how we tell stories and 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 the way stories are told um because i like a lot of the interplay where they're talking about because the whole subterfuge is that there's there's a dead body and he's a real person a real military you know um general and then also that he she has a he has a girlfriend and that sort of is paralleled with what the what the people who are putting the, the 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 caper together are going through themselves, and I quite like that double layer of the back and forth between what's real and what's not real, and what the story is, and what what the actual reality of it is. Um, and I think one of the most uplifting things um, as part of that is the way that the bod the person who's ends up donating their body how that plays into the story um which again i'm not gonna not gonna spoil it but that i think that really adds an extra level of heart and sincerity to the film that i wasn't expecting yeah they really could have just yucked it up with that but i think they they're very tasteful especially towards some of the stuff they do right at the end of the film yeah Uh, i think it's very tasteful and they didn't need to do that so I, i appreciate them taking the extra steps to sort of I don't want to say humanized because he was a, a human. He is a human, but you know this person gave their body to potentially be the the cog that ended the war. You know this is a this this person is should be a very famous person, but no one would really know his name. Yeah. Um. So I like that they celebrate that. It's a very good point. Is there anything else um that you liked from the film? What else did I like? Um, I liked Simon Russell Beale as as Winston Churchill. I think he's always great on screen, and nice to see him with um, Jason Isaacs to as a Death of Stalin reunion that I wasn't expecting to see. Um, I just think that it's it's a really well cast film. Um, all the actors I think are all really well, you know, uh, suited to their parts. I really really like Johnny Flynn as an actor generally. Um, and you know he's he's pretty good as Ian Fleming. Um, I, I can never unsee him from the uh, Cineworld adverts from years ago. Do you remember those? I don't. Mm. He played like just a chap that was like going to the cinema and was very excited, just sitting in the crowd. And he was the, the, oh. it was just like an ad before the film started. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that was the first time I ever saw him in in cinema, I suppose. And then I started seeing him in some other films and TV work. And I was like, hey, that's the guy from the Cineworld adverts. And I'll never lose that. Sorry, wow, sorry, no. Johnny Flynn. You are the Cineworld guy to me. No, that's that's really funny um, that you remember him from that. I wonder if the guy from the 4DX adverts ever going to make it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand 4DX. What do you think about that? That advert, it's just uh, painful. 
um Cineworld is is my local so I you know every time I go I just think oh god I forgot why didn't I come before the 4DX adverts on um I don't this film won't be in 4DX though will it <laughs> What, what, when are they spraying you with water? No, when they throw the body the in the ocean? The dead, the dead <laughs> bodies, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, no, I hope it's not in 4DX. Cineworld uh, would lose my unlimited membership, I think, if that happened. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I just I, I liked all the the actors. It's, it, it was well cast. Um, like you say, um, with... Um, Jason Isaacs, I always love seeing him in things, and he's particularly menacing in this film. I think he plays is it Admiral Godfrey, who's Ian Fleming's boss. Um, yes, Admiral John Godfrey. Yeah, and um, yeah, he's he, he, he's he's really good. He plays a, he plays a convincing villain whenever I see him. It's always nice to see Jason Isaacs pop up. Actually, I think he never he's one of those actors I feel like should. I'm waiting for him to get that big, big, big role, and just like smash it. Yeah, um, he's done tons of great stuff, but you know, I want that. I want that one that sort of tips him over the edge. I know he's um, obviously in the Harry Potter films, but he's, he's a bit character in that. Let's be honest. Well, he's been a Star Trek captain as well, hasn't he? Let's not talk about Star Trek Discovery. Thank you. <laughs> Skipping right over. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Agents, we have some breaking intel. That's right. Independent podcasting is not cheap. Equipment, hosting, research, these all add up, and we don't have Vesper Lind to bail us out. And also, we don't want to run ads on the show. Leave the shopping to Harry Palmer, we say, and this is a big reason we created the Spy Hards Patreon. So we're here to ask for your help. Please consider joining the Patreon. You'll not only be gaining access to our exclusive lineup of reviews and film commentaries, but also helping support the show. We're currently saving to upgrade our sound equipment to meet IMF standards and give you an even better listening experience. With a wide range of flexible options and an ever-growing catalogue to dive into, become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com spyhards or you can find a link in the show notes below. Now Cam, resume the spy jinx. Um, I, you, spoke about, you spoke about Johnny Flynn. I... I think he was fine. Uh, I didn't like the inclusion of Ian Fleming, personally. No. Uh, I know it's what will bring a lot of spy fans to the game, and I'm sure it features... I think it does feature quite heavily in the trailers, if I remember correctly. He narrates the trailers like he does the film, yeah. Sure, there you go. Um, which is fair enough, I get it. It's a hook that you can get people into the cinema with. I totally understand. And if Ian Fleming was involved with Operation Mincemeat in its conception, completely understand why you would involve him. But there's... There's a couple of egregious moments. Uh, I'll throw one out to you. Uh, I'm sure it probably got a giggle out of you, where he's uh, in you know Q's workshop, nudge nudge, wink wink, yeah. and finds a watch with a certain attachment on it. Yes. Yeah. A, he finds a watch with a, I believe it's like a circular saw hidden in the watch, yeah. and he just gets like a smile on his face, and you're like, oh, I know he's writing Thunderball, and he said. And I was like, Ugh, yeah, I didn't need that. I didn't need that bit. 
I, I, I rolled my eyes. It sounds like you maybe didn't roll your eyes so much. No, I did. I did. I, I liked it. I thought, I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. But it's like um, it's like what Mark Kermode would call a chubby hum moment, wouldn't it? It's uh, it's very much, oh, this is going to come into play much later on, but has no impact on this specific moment. Um, and it's only relevant for people who know the source material. It's It's, yeah, it is silly. And you're going to say the next, I think I know the next bit that's going to stick out as well. Well, you've queued it up now. You should tell us. Well, is it the bit at the end where he's typing up some notes and someone says, what are you writing? And he says, the greatest spy story ever or something like that. Yeah, it's it's uh, they literally just Operation Mincebeat is successful and they're all just sort of standing in the afterglow. It's dead silence. And all you can hear is a ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta of a typewriter. And it pans to Ian Fleming like, Fleming, what are you doing? Writing a spy story. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why he turned into a 30s detective there, but apparently that's what Ian Fleming sounds like, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, again, I, I kind of just like rolled my eyes at that point. Yeah. I, I, get, I get why he's in it. I, I totally understand. And I, I love James Bond. You certainly love James Bond. I'm fine with it, I suppose. It just felt a bit unnecessary in a film that was trying to have some dramatic tension and you got this like strange comic relief going on. Yeah, but there is a sub sub uh, plot running through. It's not even a subplot. It's almost like a running joke through the film, with everyone involved in the in the naval intelligence is writing a spy story or is is writing a book. Um, that's a running gag throughout the film. So I don't know whether that's added in to justify Ian Fleming being in the film, or um, whether it's just yeah, just another layer. But yeah, it does stick out a little bit. Well, speaking of added in, I think it's the last thing I want to bring up before we go bring us to a close talking about the film is Kelly MacDonald. Yes. The whole inclusion of the love interest, which we spoke about a little bit at the start. I think that is a one of the biggest detractors for me on this film if it comes to recommending it to people. I just think that, that there's there's no sort of spark between her and Colin Firth in my book where there's no. supposed to be something there. No, I totally agree. Um, which is a shame, and I think that you know, and there's there's also this like will they won't they tension with the Matthew McFadden character, um, like unrequited love, but again, there's no chemistry there either. I think it's just a strange. Maybe it's a casting issue. Maybe it's a direction issue. But I I feel like it, that never lands. No, and that's a shame because Kelly McDonald's character is actually set up to be quite interesting. You know, she's a, a young widow. Um, and she is with, I think, an American at the start of the film. And so there is some sort of, you know, romantic tension there, but I never bought that, um, that she would ever be, or you never see any sort of tension between her and the Colin Firth character, but they're sort of saying, oh yeah, you know, this is going on and people are talking behind their backs, but sometimes you've got to show a little bit more, I think. Well, they're doing it under the guise of like British stiff upper lip kind of attitude where we wouldn't show affection as much back in the 40s, which I, I get the angle, but you kind of, I, I would almost want to see them embrace a few times yeah. and a, a smooch or something like that just to, because they're just, they're, it's, they're just telling me that they're in love and not showing it to me. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's um, it. And I'm supposed to just accept that, which is, is fine. And I think, and I think that's probably why the film just sort of gets away with the story, just sort of knocks it off to one side towards the end of the film because it doesn't know how to resolve it and there wasn't much to resolve, so it just sort of concludes. 
Um, again, and also with the the brother slash socialist slash spy Mark Gatiss character that just vanishes into the night more or less and is never really brought up, despite that being sort of a sort of Damocles hanging over the the Matthew McFadden character of well, you know will he find out if his brother's a spy that sort of thing but again i'm just nitpicking i think at this point so i think i'll ask you the question what would you say if someone came to you and said should i go see operation mincemeat this weekend i would say yes i think i i would yeah i'd say i would recommend it i think it's good i think it's solid um i can see why it's going to netflix in north america um as well um so um i think that if for an easter weekend type movie if you're home with your parents and they're saying should we go to the pictures i would say this is going to be more likely to um to uh put a smile on their face than something like the northman um which by all accounts is a brutal brutal film um and it's definitely going to be more interesting for them than sonic the hedgehog 2 right um so yeah i would recommend it take that back sonic the hedgehog 2 is for everyone <laughs> jim jim carrey as dr eggman oh, take me away actually i've never seen any of the sonic films the first or the second i don't i don't think that'll change um i think for me i i, I think i would agree with you tom actually i i think it's a perfect little little romp if you like a little bit of history if you like i guess well for me if you like colin firth uh, maybe not for you so much. If you like a little spy story that isn't too serious, doesn't take itself too seriously, I think it's a an easy watch. I can also agree. I can see why it's coming to Netflix in North America because I think, despite the stars, like the you know the name value of say Colin Firth, um, Mark Gatiss, Jason Isaacs, I don't think that would bring Americans or North Americans, I should say, into the theaters. I think Matthew McFadden. It strangely is the biggest draw over there for them. Um, really, but but he's obviously playing a very different type of character to Tom Wombsgams in uh, in in Succession. Um, but these are all very British appealing people, I think. N- less so in North America. This is a, this is a very un-American war story, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, I think it also appeals to the British sense of humour quite a lot. Yes, the way this is designed, yeah. it it seems to want to appeal to us. Yes, definitely. Uh, which I'm I'm all for. To be fair, that we can have these sorts of films, not a problem at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I I'm glad that we're telling these sorts of stories. I I I'm glad that they're because this could easily have just been a documentary, and not been sort of given a sort of comedy angle that it came from. It could have been far less interesting. And have you know a two-hour film of men in rooms talking? Yeah, um, we're we're very well versed in men in rooms talking here on Spy Hards, and it can get a bit draining <laughs> after a while. Um, I'm sure you've dealt with many of them too. To be fair, in in the Bond films, yeah. So yeah, they they, they do uh, mount up. So I'm glad it, I'm glad this film has that comedy angle that you can sort of go back to if you're not too you know, fascinated with the actual spy story that's going on, but I think it tells a very interesting spy story. So I think if you're if you're a fan of, of history, you don't mind it being perhaps a bit inaccurate, I'm not too sure, but I get the feeling that maybe they're playing a little bit fast and loose with some of the bits of the story. Uh, or you like a good spy film, I think this is something to go and check out whilst it's in theatres here in the UK. And if you're listening to this and you're in North America, obviously it will be dropping for you in May. Uh, you know, if, it's, if this is on 
you know, streaming. I think this is a no-brainer to watch. What do you think, Tom? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in comparison to some of the Netflix stuff that I've watched in the past, <laughs> this is much... Extraction. Yeah, this is much more interesting, I think. Um, and we'll definitely pass the time. Like I say, get, get a cup of tea, get some nice biscuits, sit back on the sofa and just enjoy uh, a crazy, crazy true story. And it's one of those films where I've watched it and thought, I've got to read the book now. Mm. I just have to know what's true and what's not. That's that's for me too, I think, actually. It's a very good point. Um, I probably will try and find the book and try and figure out what exactly was the truth of it all. Although maybe we'll never know. That's uh, That's what good spy work's about. Can I, before we wrap up, mm. ask you a quick quiz question? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Did you spot another James Bond connection in the credits? In the credits? Okay. Is it as in crediting someone or is it something that's in uh, yeah. the credits? As in someone who's worked on the Bond films worked on this. Oh. I mean, if you didn't spot it, I'll tell you straight away. It's Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman is the composer oh, on this. And he okay. was the composer on Skyfall Inspector. Yes, so a nice little, uh, little link there. Okay, well, this is a perfect segue as we start to wrap up because you host the James Bond A to Z podcast, and you know you are the uh, the the knowledgeable people when it comes to James Bond. So of course you have that knowledge in your head. I feel <laughs> I feel like I know nothing compared to you when it comes to James Bond. Well, honestly, Scott, what I know now about James Bond is the more that I learn, the less I actually know, <laughs> because, or the the more I realise I don't know. Um, we've been on this journey learning about James Bond week to week in an A to Z format since the start of 2021 and um yeah it's just been been like uh, opening pandora's box um but yeah now just from my hate mail yeah exactly (laughs) but it's um it's been a it's been a great journey and uh you've contributed in your own way as well you came on the license to kill episode that was a fantastic addition to the to the podcast um but yeah we've got some great episodes coming up uh we've got some really good interviews coming up i don't want to spoil them just yet but some really interesting people connected to the world of Bond um, coming up on the show um, over the letter M and also letter M heralds the arrival of Roger Moore, which is um, an actor that we're all very fond of. And we we'll look forward to talking about him over two episodes about his life and career. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. No, and, and you know, you've been on the show before. You joined us for our Pierce Brosnan roundtable a while back, and then you put out the the signal for help. You wanted some assistance for License to Kill, and I jumped at the chance to come aboard. And I would, I recommend everyone listen to this immediately. Go over to James Bond A to Z, subscribe, and then give the License to Kill episode a, a listen. I think it's a it's a great sort of uh, accompaniment to License to Kill if you're watching the film, or if you just want to hear a bit more about Robert Davy and uh, Timothy Dalton, but yeah thank you for having me on the show and uh it, that was great i really enjoyed actually learning a lot about the film i'd never actually looked up before so that was i've still got the uh the book here actually on my desk the uh the making of come yeah come uh, listen to scott on the license to kill but stay for the story about the ghostly hand that you can see in a photograph uh, <laughs> from behind the scenes that was haunting, one of my favorite the haunting hand the haunting hand and anthony zerbe's face acting that's uh yeah the kind of magic i bring <laughs> exactly exactly um but yes yeah, so definitely go check out james Bond a to z podcast there'll be a link in the show notes below for you to pop over listen to the license to kill episode um but tom where can people find you on social media 
I'm I, mainly on Twitter at Tom Butler. There's no gaps. There's no um, weird spellings. It's just T-O-M-B-U-T-L-E-R. And then the podcast itself is at James Bond, A to Z, A-T-O-Z. Um, so really easy to find there. But uh, yeah, come over and have a listen. Well, we uh, hope you've enjoyed our chat about Operation Mince Meat. We both give it a thumb, thumbs up to check out if you're in the UK in the theatres. You know, try and support films that aren't just the big old MCU blockbusters if you can. And in North America, we'd say it's a definite check out. Um, Don't get put off by the title either. Operation Mince Meat is a dreadful title for a film, but the film is much better than that. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's one of the reasons why they didn't like it in North America and they thought they'd just take it to streaming because Mince Meat would confuse people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't like mince pies either, to be fair. No. No. Um, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, check out Operation Mince Me, as I said, and do not forget to follow us discreetly at SpyHards on social media. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, we'll see you among the shadows. Barbican Station explores the spy world of Slough House and the Slow Horses created by author Mick Heron. Find it online at slough.house or in your favorite podcast app under Barbican Station.